Well, if you'll take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of Daniel, Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 10. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, as I am this morning, it's page 793. Uh, You know, because we've talked about it in recent weeks, but you just know, because this is the world that we live in, that in this culture, in this community, in America today, we live in a world that stands opposed to Christ. Uh, Our world stands opposed to the standards of Christ, uh, what the Bible says is right and wrong, and what the world has now concluded about right and wrong are very different things. The world stands opposed to the person of Christ, the message of Christ, the gospel of Christ. In every respect, uh, we live in an unchristian, post-Christian world. And I hate to be uh, the bearer of bad news this morning, but If you're a younger person today, or if you have children or grandchildren who are younger today, uh, those people are going to have a greater difficulty living for and honoring Christ in this life than people did a generation or two before. Uh, there, There are simply more obstacles that stand in the way of a person living a Christ honoring life today than existed just a few years ago. I was talking to some people last night about uh, social media and online pornography, and we talked about the temptation that young people face uh, with respect to those things, temptations that at least in the same way were unheard of just just a few years ago. There, There is more opposition today. People will stand opposed to you oftentimes. If you stand for the standards of Christ, if you uh, communicate the message of Christ, there is just a new default today. It seemed a few years ago that there was a default set of beliefs. There was a default understanding of what is right and wrong, a default ethic. Uh, Not that everybody in America was Christian, Uh, Not that the default was enough to make you a child of God, but at least there was some common acceptance uh, for the definition of what it meant to live the right way. Well, today, the default has changed. And it's not just true for younger people. Fewer and fewer people are finishing the faith well. Do you know what I mean? Fewer and fewer people are coming to the end of life still following God with the same commitment, faithfulness, and fervency that they had years before. And it seems like statistically, uh, at least, that younger people are following with even more faithfulness, even though there are fewer younger people following Christ, the ones who are following Christ are following with more faithfulness than the older people. We just live in a world that stands opposed to Christ and it affects us in so many ways. So what are we going to do? How are we going to honor Christ in this this world? Well, we've said that one of the best places to turn to find the answer is the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a man who uh, found himself uh, some 2,600 years ago transplanted from Uh, from a community where they honored God, uh, Jerusalem, and not in Jerusalem in its best days, but still Jerusalem in in, in a place and a time where they honored God, he found himself transplanted, exiled to a community that stood completely against the things of God. But Daniel somehow figured out how to live and how to honor God in this pagan community. And we said that If we could study the book of Daniel and we could see from the life of Daniel, 
we might learn some things that would help us to be successful living for Christ in this day and this time. And so this is week six. This is the last week. So we've learned five things so far. Do you remember what they are? First, we said that Daniel refused to defile himself. Daniel chapter one, verse eight, and that if we're going to live a, a, a life that honors Christ in this world, we've got to set down some stakes and we must say, I will not go beyond that point. I will not defile myself. The second thing that uh, we learned from this is that we must know why it is that we believe. Because if you're following Christ for the wrong reasons, when it becomes difficult to follow Christ, you'll just fall away. And so we've got to follow Christ for the right reasons. Number three, we learned that we have to live with integrity. Uh, Daniel chapter six, we talked about how to live with integrity. And then we went back a chapter, Daniel chapter five, the fourth week, and we said, if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, we must speak the truth of Christ, even if it's difficult or cost us dearly. And then we learned last week that if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, we must pray. That prayer is our secret weapon and the secret source of strength, we must pray. Well, there's one final thing that I, I think can be learned from Daniel's life. One final thing we must do if we're going to live in a life that rejects, if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ. And it perhaps is the most important one. It is this. We must not quit. We must not throw in the towel. We must not give up the battle. We must fight on. The biggest danger, listen, the biggest danger that you and I face when it comes to our spiritual lives, as your pastor, I think about this a lot, as, as the person who will, who will give an account for your souls, I think about it often, what is the biggest danger that you face? I, I don't think it is that many of you are going to convert to some pagan religion. I mean, that may happen. Some people here might become... Muslim or Hindu or Jehovah's Witness or something that may happen, but I don't think that's that's the most likely thing I don't think that's the greatest danger you face. I don't think the greatest danger is that you will just reject God's word out of hand. I, I, I don't think the greatest danger is that you will become uh, an atheist or an agnostic and say I just reject God's word now that certainly will happen uh, in the lives of some people who are here this morning. But that's not the greatest danger. Here's the greatest danger that you face and that I face is that we'll just walk away, is that we'll just quit, is that we'll just drift. You use the, uh, the analogy that, uh, that fits best, but, but, but the greatest danger is, is, is that we'll continue to believe the Bible and we'll continue to call on the name of Jesus when we're in trouble. But in every other respect, that we will just walk away. You know, there are over 1,300 resident members of First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. Did you know that? Over 1,300. Now, over half of those people are AWOL every week. I uh, know we have a lot of people who come faithfully who are not members, and we're glad you're here. But if, if we just counted members this morning, oh, over half of those people are, are AWOL every week. Many of those people have been AWOL for six months or six years or 26 years. And, and, and there's probably a lot of different stories. I'm sure there are a lot of different stories. But if you boil it all down to this, many of those people just walked away. They haven't become Hindu. I mean, they have rejected the, the truth of Scripture. I mean, if you went to them, knocked on their door today, they wouldn't say, cursed is Jesus, but they just walked away. That's the danger 
in almost every area of life. If you think about your marriage, what's the greatest danger to your marriage? That you just give up, that you quit fighting to have a marriage. What's the greatest danger to your ministry? I mean, a lot of you are involved in ministry here at the church or in other places. What's the greatest danger? Is that you just get tired and, and quit? What's the greatest danger for holy living? That you're striving to live for God? Is that you just, it's just that you'll quit? What's the dang, greatest danger in you trying to have an influence at work and at school uh, among people who need to know the Lord? It's just that you, you'll quit. See, if we're going to live successfully, God-honoring lives in a world that rejects Christ, this has got to be our, our last commitment in this series. I will stay in the battle. Uh, when I get weary, when I'm on the verge of burnout, when I am frustrated, when I am impatient, I'm not going to quit. Now, I want you to see this in the life of Daniel because uh, as, as I was preparing this um, this series. I went away for two or three days and I just read the book of Daniel over and over and I was looking for these principles. There was one that you see here in Daniel chapter 10 and we're going to read it in just a moment. But, but really you see this from the whole story, the whole narrative of, of Daniel's life. So, so let me just step back and give you a broad view of who Daniel was and, and the things he experienced. Daniel was born uh, somewhere around 620 BC. Uh, in Jerusalem, uh, or just outside of Jerusalem. He lived in, in Israel and uh, grew up probably with a family that was uh, faithful to the things of God, the Ten Commandments that, uh, uh, that taught Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, 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 and believed in the one true living God, certainly. Uh, but then, uh, as was prophesied by Jeremiah, because of the disobedience of the people, God allowed an enemy to come in and, and attack and, and eventually overwhelm uh, the nation of Israel, the Babylonians. And the way they did that is they laid siege to Jerusalem. You can read about this in the book of 2 Kings. And it was, a, it was a terrible time. Eventually, Israel fell, Jerusalem fell, and the Babylonians took over. But one of the things they did is they took a group of, of uh, young men, maybe some others, but at least a group of young men uh, from Jerusalem, from Israel, and they transplanted them, they exiled them uh, to their hometown, to their home country, to be a part of the Babylonian government, to be a part of the administration. These were young men, they were gonna train them up, and uh, they were gonna use them as, uh, as, as administrators in the, in the Babylonian government. And Daniel was one of those men. Uh, the exile happened uh, around 598 BC. Daniel would have been in his late teens, uh, or his early twenties. Well, he got there and Daniel, along with at least three others decided that they would be faithful to God, but it was hard. I, I don't think we could even imagine how hard it was. They're separated from parents. They were out of town, so to speak. You know, many people have one conduct when they're home and they a whole nother conduct when they're out of town. They're definitely out of town. No connection with, uh, with the hometown folks, with, with family, with anything. So they live in a culture where there's temptation on every turn, where, where they're not just being tempted, they're being threatened with temptation. You either give in to temptation or lose your life. But Daniel remained firm and solid and faithful to God. Daniel uh, was oppressed by government other government rulers uh, there in Babylon, they were always hunting him down. They're always accusing him. They hated him because he, he stood for this God that, that they 
rejected. And, and, and so they, they hounded him. And he always felt this pressure from, uh, from the government, from other administrators because of his, because of his faith. He, he was in danger of losing his life almost every day. Uh, the Bible records more than one incident where uh, he came just about that close to being executed because of his faith and, and continually. And, 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 and as you read the book of Daniel, it seems that there were probably even more instances than are recorded. Daniel was in constant jeopardy of being executed. Many people were executed because of their faith. And, and, and Daniel stood that risk all the time, yet he remained faithful. In fact, we don't know this for sure, but Daniel may have been the only Jewish man who was faithful. We know that there was Daniel brought over, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, they're mentioned by name early in the book of Daniel. But the, the Bible says that there were many others. We don't know if that means 20 or 100 or 1,000. Uh, but let's say that there were 100 other Jewish men who were brought there. And, and so once you get to Daniel chapter 3, the end of Daniel chapter 3, did you know that none of those men are ever mentioned in the book of Daniel again? And I don't know exactly why that is. I know it's a book about Daniel, but you would think at some point somebody would come to his defense. Somebody would come to his aid that at some point Daniel would be partnered with one of these other men who was standing faithful for the Lord, but, but they're never mentioned. And, and the implication I think is that, that Daniel not only faced all of this temptation, but Daniel saw all of his friends fall, quit, give in and give up. And so Daniel, through all of this, remained faithful. Uh, it is believed by Bible commentators that Daniel celebrated his 100th birthday uh, as a Babylonian administrator under Darius I. Uh, all the time, he uh, remained holy. He remained a man committed to prayer and even uh, Bible study. So what do we learn from Daniel's life? How can we have that same faithfulness in this world? Well, uh, let's, let's see something that, uh, that happens. It's, it's just an unusual passage. It's a conversation really between Daniel and an angel. And when we read it, it's even more unusual than that because the angel, you'll see what he's been doing and what he's about to do again, really weird stuff. I'll just be honest. But in this conversation between Daniel and an angel, I think we see something of the encouragement, not just at this point, this is just an example, Daniel chapter 10, but the kind of encouragement God had been giving Daniel to help him stand strong and to be faithful all of his life. And so I want to read Daniel chapter 10, verse 10 is where we'll start. I want to ask you, if you don't mind, let's just stand and uh, give special honor and reverence to the reading of God's word this morning. Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. I'm going to read quickly, so you're going to have to move your finger quickly. Uh, he says, suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. And, and you'd tremble too, right? And so he's having this conversation with an angel. Verse 12, don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. And I have come because of your prayers. But, here's where it gets weird, 
But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, uh, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. And now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days for the vision refers to these days. He said, I'm coming to you to communicate something from God. I got held up for three weeks in a spiritual battle with the king of Persia. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 15, while he was saying these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Suddenly one with human likeness, that still refers to the angel, touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there's no breath in me. So he's... He's overwhelmed. He's tired. He's wrought out. Verse 18. Then the one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid. You who are treasured by God, peace to you. Be very strong. And he spoke to me and I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And he said, do you know why I have come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. So he's got to get back to this battle. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come, whoever that is. Um, However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princesses except Michael, your prince. And then he goes on in chapter 11 to communicate this special message from the Lord. Thank you for standing. Be seated. Let me show you from that that there are at least four different ways that God encouraged and strengthened Daniel to not give up. Now, don't forget the purpose of this. I'm not just trying to give you some, some Bible trivia stuff this morning. Your greatest danger is that you're going to give up. There will be people, there are people here today, just look around, that won't be here next year. I mean, they just won't. Some of you won't be here next year. Why? You just gave up. Maybe you'll think of, you'll say, well, I don't like so-and-so and and somebody hurt my feelings or it was too hot or it was too cold or pastor looked weird. I mean, you'll, you'll put a label on it, okay? But the real reason that there are people here today who won't be here next year is you just gave up and that's a danger for all of us. And see, everybody's thinking, well, it won't be me. I mean, it'll probably be the person next to me. But you know, it may be you. None of us can predict. That's the danger. Some of us are just going to give up. Here's how God encouraged Daniel not to give up. And, And let me share these with you quickly. Number one, he told him you are valued by God. Look back at verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11. This this is repeated three times, I think, if I remember correctly, three times in the book of Daniel. Uh, It says in verse 11, he told me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. He says, Daniel, you're valuable to God. Daniel, you're valuable to me. I know what you're going through. Stand up and I'll give you strength. Now, some of you are going through some stuff. 
Some of you got bad news from the doctor. Some of you, you're, you're in a battle for your physical life. Some of you, things at work are bad and they're getting worse and there's uncertainty. And, and what's going to happen? And this person switches to this job and what's that going to do to me? And you know, when the numbers come in at the end of the quarter and, and some of you are concerned about your job, some of you are in a relationship battle. Your, your marriage is just crumbling and it's just hanging on by a thread. Some of you are in financial bondage. Some of you are are fearful and frustrated about the future. Some of you just stressed out. You're just tired because of the kids, the grind, uh, the work, the church, the ministry. There's a danger that you could just give up. But God says to you what God says to Daniel. I love you. I'm watching you. I am I know what you're, what you're going through. You are valuable to me, so don't quit. Have you ever noticed how sometimes there's, there is solace in just telling somebody about your hardships? I, um, I think about my relationship with my parents and, and you know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm turning into an old man and, and so, you know, the relationship changes over the years and, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need my parents to give me money. I don't need my parents. In a lot of ways, I don't need them to give me advice. You know, I sort of live in a different context than, the, than, than they. And, and it is, it's not that I need something from my parents. But, you know, every once in a while when things are just hard, things ever just get hard in your life, there's just some solace in calling my mom and saying, yeah, it's just been a really hard day. I mean, not that she can fix it, not that she can... You know, not that I'm asking her, you know, what, what should you do about this? Uh, you, sometimes it's just solace in, in knowing that somebody knows. Now, multiply that times a thousand because God says, whatever you're going through, I know. And you're valuable to me. And I love you. Now, there's a difference between God and my mom. You know, God does have wisdom that he can offer us in specific situations. And he does have power to, to, to change our circumstances. But, but, but what I want you to see here is that just the encouragement that we are valued by God. And all the way through, because we see it three times in the book. And so I don't know how many other times it was, it was said by God to Daniel. And it just wasn't recorded. But Daniel, all the way through this, this, this life of faithfulness, God was reminding Daniel you're valuable to me. You're valuable to me. And you know how, how we can keep from giving up? We need to know, we need to remember, we are valuable to God. Look at the next verse, verse 12, Daniel 10, 12. He says, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day you purposed to understand and humble yourself before your God, your prayers were being heard. I have come because of your prayers. Look at that again. He says, don't be afraid. What, what, what does he say, don't be afraid? He's, God is saying, because Daniel, I'm with you. I'm in this with you. I'm, I'm with you every step of the way. Don't be afraid. For from the first day you purpose to understand and humble yourself, what, what he says here is, uh, uh, you, you, can, you can cry out to me. As soon as you began to cry out, Daniel, to God, I heard you. And God says to us, when it's hard, cry out to God. When you're tired, tell God. When you're fearful, tell God. When you're frustrated, tell God. He, he hears you. And then the last part of verse 12, I have come because of your prayers. In, in, the, in, the, in the right time, God will come. God will be there. He, he, he's with you. He knows. He listens. And he will 
He will provide. We are valuable to God. You know, the Bible says this in other places as well. And, and I, I'll point out just a couple of those. First Peter 5, 7. I think I can show this to you on the screen. Cast all your cares on him. What does that mean? When you got a problem, tell God about it. You, you're struggling, tell God about it. You need help, tell God about it. Cast all your cares on him because, why should we do that? He cares for you. He wants to listen. I, I, one of the things I love about my wife is she wants to listen to me. When nobody else wants to listen, when everybody else rolls their eyes, my wife will listen to me. And God says, listen, I will listen. I care about you. Psalm 55, 22. Look at this verse with me on the screen. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. What does that mean, he will sustain you? If you will, if you will be in constant communication with God about your burden, he will keep you from quitting. He will sustain you. When somebody quits, you know what I know about those people? They did not continue to cast their burden. They took it on themselves. They didn't cast their burden. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. You know, I think one of the neat places we can see this is in the most well-known Christian hymn. Do you know what is the most well-known hymn? You probably know back here. What is the most well-known Christian hymn? Think about it. You're thinking Amazing Grace. But it's the hymn we teach our kids before we teach them Amazing Grace. Jesus loves me. You know that, you know that hymn, Anna Bartlett Warner, 1860? If you knew why she wrote the hymn, you wouldn't teach it to your kids. But uh, since you don't, it's a great hymn, right? Now everybody's going to go home and Google that. And, uh, but maybe you'll forget. Uh, let me read it to you. Uh, and that's the optimal word. I'm going to read, not sing, I, I promise. But Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. He is strong. Now, this sounds pretty elementary, but this was the beginning of, of the foundation that kept Daniel from quitting. He continued to turn to God and hear, Daniel, you're valuable to me. We need to know Jesus loves us. The Bible tells us so. I belong to him. Little ones belong to him. I am weak, but he is strong. The second verse, uh, Jesus loves me, loves me still. Uh, I think that's my favorite part. I, Jesus loves me, sure, but then I think about all the ways I've rebelled or failed. But there's the reminder, and it's a biblical reminder. He loves me still. Though I'm very weak and ill, from his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. See, if we're going to have strength to be faithful, we have to be reminded that God knows and he cares for us. Now, the second thing I think kept Daniel going is this. He knew that God is waging a larger battle on his behalf. God is waging a battle on our behalf. Now, let's look back at those weird verses here. Verse 13, uh, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. And so this angel and this fallen angel, this demon uh, who had been assigned by Satan to oversee Persia, I mean, it's hard to even understand what all that means. They've been fighting for 21 days, uh, which meant it was a, you know, a pretty 
you know, a pretty tough fight, right? I mean, if you, if you get in a fist fight for, with somebody and it goes on for 21 days, I mean, I mean, that's a long fight. And so they've been fighting. Now, you might say, well, fighting how? I mean, was it a physical fight? Were they punching each other? Were they kicking each other? Was, were they yelling at each other? I mean, I, I don't know. It just says they were fighting for 21 days. Um, and, and, and it goes on to say, um, then Michael, another angel, so so there's this first angel, Gabriel, we think, and then, and then fighting against this evil angel over Persia. And then Michael showed up to help. Michael's sort of like the Jack Bauer of angels. You know what I mean? So he shows up and the battle's over, you know, right, right quick uh, because, you know, he'd been working out. He had all the, you know, whatever, whatever Michael had. And... Um, so, but the, but, but the battle's not over. It's just sort of over temporarily because then you go all the way down to verse 20 and the angel who's talking to Daniel says, now I, I got to make this quick because I got to get back to fighting the prince of Persia. But when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. I have the foggiest idea what that means. I shouldn't tell you all that as a pastor. You're not supposed to be the expert on all these things. But, but here, here's the import of it, right? I mean, I, I mean you, and, and I've read books, and you go buy books about what all this means, but about 95% of those books, 95% of the content in those books, somebody just made that up. I mean, so be careful when you read quote-unquote Christian books, and, and, and they'll quote a verse, and then they'll write 15 pages about what that means. That uh, 14 and a half of those pages, they just probably made up. So all, most of the books about all this spiritual warfare and how all this works and the prince of Persia versus the prince of Greece, and, and, and I, I don't know, we don't know that. He, he, so, but it's in the Bible for a reason, right? I mean, it's true. I'm not questioning its truth, truthfulness. And it's here for a reason. What's the reason? So that you'll know, listen to this. Whether we understand the details or not, God is waging a battle on your behalf. I don't understand all that's going on. It's probably good I don't, right? I mean, if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. I would be, and you would be likely, scared to death if we knew the spiritual forces that were arrayed against us in this life. But God is waging a battle on our behalf. Isn't that good news? When you want to quit, when you're just ready to give up, just remember, it may look tough from your point of view. It may look even at times like God's not, not with you, that he's abandoned you. But the real truth is this. God is waging a battle on your behalf. First Peter 5, 8, your, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking uh, for anyone he can devour. But God, is waging a battle on our behalf. Uh, do, you know, do you know much about icebergs? I don't know much about icebergs. I can show you a picture of one that's supposed to be a pretty accurate representation of what an iceberg really looks like. And uh, scientists tell us, and there's a formula for this, scientists tell us that when you see an iceberg, you know, it's a big piece of ice floating in the water, that you're only seeing 10% of the iceberg. 90% of it, it's submerged. And it has to do with, you know, how much air is trapped in the ice and those kind of things. But 90% of the iceberg is, is hidden below the surface of the water. God, listen, God's for you. And God's working on your behalf. And all you really see is the tip of the iceberg. But know this when you're ready to quit. That there is a whole lot more to what God is doing that you don't see. But you can trust that God's fighting on your behalf. Isn't that an encouragement? We need to remember that.
when we quit. And, and you know, I don't think Daniel knew. He may have known a little bit more about all this Prince of Persia stuff than we do. I, but, but I don't know that he knew a whole lot about it either. But he got the message that God's fighting on your behalf. And that's worth much. Now, the third thing, uh, very quickly, that uh, Daniel learned that kept him from quitting is that God has a plan. God has a plan. If you look back at verse 20 that we read a moment ago, he said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once and fight against the prince of Persia. Uh, But 21, however, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. And he goes on, if you read the rest of this, he goes on to tell him, here's what we learned from this. God has a plan. You you say, well, I, I, I never imagined that I'd be diagnosed with cancer at 55 years old. I never imagined that, that, that I would end up in this job. I never imagined that, that, that I'd live in Nacogdoches. I, I never imagined. I mean, it, I mean, all kind of things happen. And, and, and from our perspective, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it seems like really good stuff. Sometimes it seems like the world's coming unraveled. But know this, God has a plan. Don't despair. Don't quit. God has a plan. And you say, in the midst of the mess of my life, God has a plan? Yes, even in the midst of the mess of your life. I mean, Daniel had to have asked that question over and over and over and over. I mean, here Daniel is. He's living in a, he's living in a, in a country where he, he likely was the only person following God. And everybody was against him. And his life was a mess. Daniel's life was a mess. He was emotionally uh, uh, just broken over this. And you see several times in the book of Daniel, he was constantly oppressed. But God said this, Daniel, I have a plan. I mean, it may not look like it, but I have a plan. And he, and he shared some of the plan with Daniel. Daniel was 90 years old at this point. Uh, I mean, he'd gone a long time and he didn't know the plan. But, but the point is, God has a plan. You know, sometimes the plan requires suffering. First uh, Peter 1, 6 and 7. Let me show this to you on the screen. Rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though is, which though, is, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. So sometimes God's plan is going to require suffering. But even that is part of God's plan. Hang in there. Don't quit. And when you come out the other end of that suffering, still holding on to God, your your faith in God will be so refined, it'll be more valuable than gold. I uh, fell in love with with, uh, Donna, who is my wife. In fact, we were cleaning out some stuff this last week, and um, I'd probably be embarrassed for you to see it, but I found, or Donna found and showed it to me, it's amazing the things you keep and you don't even know how you kept it. But uh, I found on the back of a, uh, of a piece of junk mail uh, where I had written, I mean, not pros and cons in the sense that there were a lot of negatives about Donna, but I was trying to decide if I was going to marry her. And so I do everything on paper. I mean, every decision I make, I got page, paper and paper and paper that you probably don't need to see, but I've got it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a process like that. And so I had written out all the reasons why I thought it might be a good idea to ask Donna to marry me. And, and so, so Donna and I, we fell in love. And, um, and, and you know, our, our love was real, but our love was newlywed love. You know what I mean? I mean, we loved being around each other. I loved holding her hand. I mean, we loved doing things together. I mean, it was, it was a real love, but it was, um, 
it was a, uh, in a lot of ways, it was probably pretty superficial. But a couple of years into our, our marriage, uh, we decided to have children. Uh, the doctor said no. The doctor said, you can't, you can't have children. Uh, medical problems uh, Donna had, and he said it would be very, very unlikely for you to have children. We went through a couple of steps and tried some things, but uh, it was tough. At, at that time, there were some family things uh, going on. Uh, I had three sisters, all three, three sisters, right, that, um, that got pregnant. I mean, I have a lot of sisters, <laughs> so I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wondering how many sisters I have. But three sisters got pregnant um, during that year or two that we couldn't get pregnant. Uh, just ripped my wife's heart out, my heart out too. Well, God, just in his kindness, uh, gave us a child, gave us Hannah. And, uh, and we, we were real, real thankful about that, of course. Uh, but here, here's, the, here's, here's the lesson here. Our love changed through the hard times. And so and we were really in love before that, but the love after we'd gone through a hard time, I mean, it wasn't just that I liked holding her hand. Our love deepened, it was refined. Does that make sense? It was, we, we loved each other on a whole different level. Now, the same thing happens when you go through hard times with God. Some people are following God just because they love forgiveness and they, and they love not feeling guilty and they love you know, just the, the excitement of it. And that's good. But when you go through a hard time, you go through a medical problem, you go through a bankruptcy, you go through a loss of a job, you go through something hard, loss of somebody you care about, and you hang on to God through that whole thing, and you, you experience the provision of God all the way through that hard time. You come out the other side with a refined, a more valuable than gold faith in God. Does that make sense? So God has a plan. Sometimes that plan involves suffering, but don't dismay. That's not a bad thing. It may not be fun, but it's not bad. Sometimes the plan requires perseverance. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow tired of doing good. Now, he wouldn't tell us that unless we do sometimes. Sometimes I'm really tired of being a pastor, right? Sometimes I'm really tired of being nice to my kids. So sometimes we, you know, we're really tired of doing, of doing good things. But he says, don't get tired of doing good, for we will reap at a proper time if we do what? If we don't quit. So that's the problem. Most people get tired, they just quit. But let's, let's know that sometimes the plan requires perseverance. Sometimes the plan requires trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sometimes you don't know how it's going to work out. It just requires trust. God, somehow, some way, I'm just trusting you through all of this. But God has a plan. Don't quit because God has a plan. Now, number four, very quickly. Uh, there is an eternal rest and an imperishable reward for those who persevere. And here's a, here's a really good reason not to quit. Go over to the last verse in the book of Daniel. Turn over a page or two. Daniel chapter 12, the very last verse he says, uh, but as for you, still a message from the Lord, but as for you, go on your way to the end and you will rest 
And then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the day. What he says to Daniel is don't quit. Keep on because listen, you listening? Because eventually there's going to be a time for rest. I know right now you just like a rest, right? Just wouldn't you just like a, like to rest? But he says, don't quit because there's coming a time of rest and there's coming a time when God will reward your faithfulness. So many people quit before they ever get to the rest and before they ever experience the reward. You know, the Bible says um, that the surest sign that you're really a child of God. Well, let me rephrase it before I tell you what the surest sign is. People ask pastors, how often, people ask pastors often, how can I know that I'm saved? So many people doubt their salvation. When you've prayed the right prayer, you go to church, you, and all the things that you would think are, are signs that your faith is genuine, but people still ask, how, how can I know? Well, you know what the surest sign is? Well, just, I want you to process it a minute. Uh, don't just listen, think. What's the, what's the best way to tell that your faith is genuine? You know what it is? That you don't quit. The Bible says that. I, I started off with 20 verses and I narrowed them down to 10, then five, and I finally got them down to just two. But I would love to just, if we had time, I'd just stand here and just read verse after verse after verse after verse that say over and over and over again that the surest sign that your faith is real is that it lasts. I had a pastor friend would say it this way, faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. Can you remember that? Because if your faith is real and it's genuine, it'll last. It'll last. Perseverance is the surest sign that your faith is genuine. Jesus said, John 8, 31, uh, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. If you do what? If you continue, if you don't quit, you're my disciples. But the, but the clearest verse, takes a little bit of explanation, but it's 1 John 2, 19. And I show this to you on the screen. I want to spend just a moment in this. I know we're out of time, but listen. It says, they went out from us. Now, that, that's talking about people that quit. It's not talking about people that went from one church to another church. That's, that's, that's another sermon. It's talking about people who just quit. Not, not people who became Muslim or Hindu, but people who just quit. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. It says they left, but they really weren't ever one of us to start with. For if they had belonged to us, if they had really been a Christian, they would have remained with us. Let that sink in. What, what does he say is the surest sign that you're really a child of God? That you remain. And then he says it again. However, they went out, they, they quit so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. When somebody just quits, I don't mean somebody has a bad day or week or month or, and I don't know how long people, so somebody will come ask me after the sermon, how long can you backslide and still be a Christian? I mean, that's just like the, I don't know, 
But that's just like the worst question. That's like me saying, Donna, you know, how, how, how unfaithful can I be and you still stick around? I mean, that's, I mean I, you just don't need to ask that question. But, but here's what the Bible does say. That if you just quit, then, you, then that's the surest sign you never were a child of God. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. Why sh- should we stay? Why should we continue to battle? Because there's an eternal rest and an imperishable reward for those who persevere. Now, can I, can I read you? I know we're out of time. Can I read you the scariest verse in the Bible for pastors? It's Hebrews 13, 17. I think I have this for you. I do. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Pastors actually like that part of the verse. Uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So I got to give an account for you. Uh, Charles Poole back there. One day, Charles... God's going to ask me about you. I, mean, I, give, I got to give an account. Um, that's intimidating. Right? I mean, God's called me to this. I'm excited about it, but that's intimidating. And so if I've got to give an account, then what, what do I fear for you the most? And, and for me, uh, too. But what do I fear for you the most? I mean, if, if I'm the... If I'm one of the under shepherds that has to keep the wolves away from the flock, what, what wolf am I fearing the most? Is that one day you're just going to quit. That we won't even know for six months. And we'll look around and we'll say, well, where's Sally? I don't know. She's quit. Well, we should call her. Sally, what's wrong? Well, I'm just busy. You know, the kids, the job, somebody hurt my feelings. But Sally will just say, you know, I just quit. I fear for that, for you. And so, and so I want to say to you the words that God said to Daniel. Don't quit. I care about you. God cares. God has a plan. He's fighting on your behalf. And there is a reward that's waiting at the end. Don't quit. So what, what should you do? Let me just be real practical at the end. What should you do if you're about to quit? Number one, ask God to give you a better perspective. That's what this whole message has been about. I hope you have a different perspective. Number two, do Christianity with others. The people who quit were doing this all by themselves. They were coming to church. They didn't talk to anybody. They left. They weren't in a class. They weren't in a group. So ask God to give you a better perspective. That's what we've talked about. Do Christianity with others. Abide in Christ. The Bible says if I abide in him and he abides in me, uh, that I will have strength and joy that I could have no other way. But listen, finally, just wait. Show us that uh, photograph if you can. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't know a lot about it. A lot of you do. But I know this. If a farmer's going to have a great harvest, there are a lot of days and there are a lot of hours of work and wait, right? A farmer doesn't put in a couple of really hard days and then go and cash in at that point, right? A farmer doesn't put in two weeks and, 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 and then reap a harvest. I mean, you, you work for two weeks. What does a farmer have to show after two weeks of really hard work? Nothing, nothing. 
couple of months of hard work, nothing. I mean, there's some, there's some organized lines of weeds and some dirt, but there, there's nothing. You can't eat it. You can't sell it. But the farmer who is faithful eventually reaps a harvest. Now, some of us are just planting, and we're looking back, and it's just a bunch of dirt. Some of us have got some seedlings. Some of us, we can see maybe the beginning of some fruit. Listen, we can't quit until it's harvest time. Don't quit before the end. Your head bowed, eyes closed, I want to pray. Some people this morning, uh, you don't have a relationship with God. And this talk about don't quitting, you, you know what you need to do is you need to start. And so in a moment, we'll stand and sing. I'm going to invite you to come. There will be people standing on either side of me here in the front. And you can just take somebody by the hand and say, hey, help me get started with God. I want forgiveness and mercy and help me. And let them talk to you personally and privately. But you know, many of us, uh, we, we know we've, we've started. <coughs> but in a group this size, there, there's some of you thinking about quitting. Or you've thought about it before, or you're going to think about it a month from now. The day to talk to God about quitting is right now. Would you ask God to give you the strength that he gave to Daniel? Seventy years, Daniel fought the good fight. Seventy years. Would you make the same commitment to our Lord? Father, don't let us quit. That's my biggest fear. It's a fear for me. It's a fear for everybody in this church. But let us honor you with our perseverance, leaning on your strength. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.